Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. the Bible, we see examples of people taking defeat and turning it into triumph. We see people who are not victims, but victors through the power and might of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the Lord God Almighty, you know, like David, I I was just talking to my friend about first Samuel just the other day. And he says, man, that book should be called the book of David or something like that, because it's a lot about David. And, and the fact of the matter is that we see what the the things that David has gone through. And there's really no way we could have gone through what David did. And there's really no way we could have been that obedient to what God has called David to do, that humble, that submissive, right? If we look at his story, it's like, how did you do that? How did you have Saul right in front of you and you were just so gracious to him and so submissive to, the, to God's plan and didn't do anything about it? You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how God really took this person who was being persecuted and exalted him to be king of Israel And so that's what he does with his people. See, God allows us to go through trials. God puts us through testing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, that's a great thing. And so let me ask you this. How many of you guys are currently going through some kind of trial or challenge? I think we can all raise our hand for this, right? And some of us will say not just one, but several at once. And you've heard it said, when it rains, it pours. Yes? Well, I'll... I'll I'll get to it here, but trials should be of no surprise to us, especially the believer. But there is good news, and the good news is that no matter what the trials may be on the outside or what the temptations may be in the inside, right, because we've got trials, we have the temptations. We'll talk about temptations next week. At Christ, and through our faith in Christ, we can experience victory. That's the good news. And the question is how? You know, how uh, can I turn this trial into a triumph? How can I experience the victory that God promises? Well, here in James, I think we see four um, crucial actions that we should take towards our trials. Four very imperative responses to our trials. Because sometimes we're faced with those challenges, those trials, and we just don't know what to do, right? And so I think that James has a beautiful prescription here for us do four things when we do encounter those moments. And the first one is count. And of course, I'm going to expound more on this because you're probably thinking, what does that mean? Verse two, we'll see, he says, count. Verse three, he says, no. In verse four and nine, he says, let. And in verse five, he says, ask. And those are very important for us to do as we face these trials. So what does this mean? Well, let's read James chapter one. We're going to uh, focus verse 1 through 12, and it says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Amen. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your word. We ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive of it, that we would not just be hearers of it, Father, but that we may be able to apply it in everything that we do, Father, that we may represent you well, Lord Jesus. And so now, Father, we just ask that you would give us the ability, Father, the, the wisdom, Lord, to be able to face trials and come out triumphant. And Lord, I thank you for Wave Family Church and for every experience that we've had here thus far, the good, the bad, the easy, the fun, and the tough, and the challenging. But we know that you're doing something beautiful in this community, by this church, and in your name. And so we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, first things first. Let's go back to verse 1. Who's James? Who is this James guy? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, he is the half-brother of Jesus. He is the son of Joseph the carpenter and Mary, the one who pondered things in her heart, right? She, he is um, uh, a man who grew up with our Lord and Savior. You know, it's really uh, um, uh, amazing to me that a lot of people that I come and have conversations with they're really surprised that Jesus had brothers and sisters and, and, and he had a normal life, you know? Yeah, James grew up with Jesus. And James um, is thought that, to be among those in Jesus' family who at first opposed him and, or rejected his claims as Messiah. I mean, you think about it. It makes sense. Natural. You grow up with your brothers and sisters. We don't think much of our brothers and sisters. No offense, sister. My sister's in the house today. All right? We, we kind of are bothered by one another sometimes. Yes, we love each other, right? And so I can just imagine that James and his brothers didn't think much of Jesus at first, other than that, that guy makes us look bad, probably, right? But Jesus needed nourishing. He grew up. He needed a mom. He had an earthly father here as well. He had to be taught how to walk, right? How to take care of himself. He bled. He cried. He ate. He thirsted, right? And so to James, I can imagine that Jesus was just his brother. In fact, uh, they thought, his family thought that he was out of his mind for a little bit there. Look at Mark chapter 3, 20 through 21. We read that Jesus' family thought that Jesus was literally out of his mind. All right, we see it here. They seized him for they were saying he's out of his mind. And so we can see here that they did not think of Jesus as the Christ right? This is James, the guy who's writing, who wrote this letter. But James changes his approach on this. He changes his mind about this. Why? Because his brother rose after he was executed. After the resurrection, after the ascension, there was no doubt in anybody's mind, Jesus is the Christ. And so I can just imagine if I'm James, Wow, I grew up with my Lord and Savior. I can't even believe this. This radically changed 
James forever. In fact, so much that he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And that's actually quite a big deal because Jerusalem is probably the hardest place to lead a church. It is the epicenter of Christian persecution. After all, that's where Christ was executed, right? It's almost like all the apostles said, you know what? We don't want to be here. We don't want to lead here. This place is a little sketchy now. James, why don't you take over? <laughs> it's almost that way. But James does, and he does a phenomenal job, in my opinion. He loves the church in Jerusalem. He loves his Jewish culture. He embraces it, and he sees the redemption that they experience through Jesus Christ. And he does such a good job at leading people in truth. Even this letter itself is just a good expression of his love for his his let's say, spiritual children. He's writing to who? He's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He says greetings, meaning everybody who represents the Jewish community who is abroad right now at the time of this writing. He's caring so much for them that he's sending them word of God, right? He's sending them encouragement. He's sending them instructions. James truly becomes a phenomenal leader of the church. He is well-respected by the apostles and by everyone who was a part of the Christian fellowship in the time. Amen? So that's James, and I love the way that he introduces himself. He says, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant. By calling himself a servant, or in other translations, you'll see a slave of the Lord, of God and Lord Jesus Christ. James acknowledges that his humble willingness to be at the Lord's disposal is according to his principles, not his own. And so the word that we get from James is not his own. This comes from the Lord. This is God's. He's only God's servant. He is a slave to the Lord. And so what we have from here, the wisdom that we have here, the, the commands that we get from here, this is not from James. This is from our Lord himself. And so let's take this to heart. Let's really glean from this. Let's grow from this. And so let me just tell you this too. James, having been the leader of the Jerusalem church, he, know, he knew a thing or two about trials and tribulation. I don't know if you know the end of James, but he was martyred there. You know, he was, he was cut down by the sword and he did it willingly and he led faithfully. And I think that's something to admire. And so when we read from him, speaking of trials and tribulations, he knows what he's talking about and he believes it. And I think there's nothing beautiful, more beautiful than that, than to hear from someone who believes what they're saying, right? And so let's go into verse 2, and that's the first point. The first response we should have to trials or, or, or tribulations, to the tough times in life. James says, count. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, I've quoted this to people when they're going through hard times, and they don't like to hear this. Oh, count it all joy. You're going through a hard time. Count it all joy. I don't need to hear that right now, <laughs> right? But James says, count it all joys when you meet trials of various kinds. Count, you know what? This is actually a financial term. Count means to evaluate. Let me give you a quick example. We have a, a money jar, a change jar. Anytime we have change, we drop, drop it into that. You guys probably have the same thing. When it gets full, it's time to count. And when we count it, we crack open the, job, the jar and we don't count coins one by one. We don't go one coin, two coin, three coin, four coin, right? Because we have to evaluate the value in each of the coins. Some of them are worth more than others. This word count is the same thing. He's saying evaluate the trials that you're dealing with and consider the benefit, the value that they come, they bring forth and then rejoice for that. For God brings us trials. He brings us uh, a testing to refine us, to grow us, to mature us. 
So if we have that mindset going into our trials, then we can rejoice to what's ahead of us. It's like when you're cracking open your money jar and you're counting and the more you realize it, the more you, you evaluate the, the, the amount that's in there, you realize, I can't believe that little jar held 60 or 100 bucks, you know? So evaluate your trials. They are not designed to ruin you. They are designed to grow you, to mature you. And we really have to do this in a way that's rejoicing. That word rejoice is not happiness. It doesn't mean that you have to be happy about it. That means that you just have to understand that there's value and you're grateful for that. And you're going to celebrate the fact that, hey, something good is going to come out of this, right? And so that changes our attitudes. Or we can even step into these trials with a positive attitude, knowing these things. You know, you've heard it said that attitude determines outcome, yes? Now, uh, my sister's here, so she'll, she'll vouch for me. When we were growing up, we had to respond to mom with, great attitudes, right? Dad was at work, so she kind of handled most of the day-to-day -day life. And so when mom had a request, when she had a chore for us to do, if we had positive attitudes, if we had great attitudes about anything, she would have a great attitude too. And, and trust me, we love to have my mommy with a great attitude. Because if we responded with a poor attitude, her attitude would also shift towards us. And there was grave con uh, consequences and it was just harder to get through anything when everyone had a poor attitude, right? And so what James is saying is consider, evaluate what you're going through, have a positive attitude with it for it because this is going to be good for you, all right? And then we go on and he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, not if, when. That's a... Uh, a guaranteed or your money back. You're not gonna get your money back. It's a guaranteed. You will meet trials and you may have them at the same time. When it rains and pours, it could be one after the other, after the other, after the other. And so we shouldn't be surprised by this because our Lord Jesus told us that this would be the case. We should, excuse me, we shouldn't be surprised to expect trials or to face a trial because um, it is what is part of life. Look at what John 16, 3 says. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, take heart, you can overcome the world. Take heart, you, you got this, right? He says, take heart, I have overcome the world but we will have tribulations, we will have trials, and so it is to be expected. Paul also tells his converts, his new converts, his spiritual children this in Acts chapter 14, 22. He says that though many tribulations we must enter the, or, excuse me, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, that's how we enter the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've read that um, story by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. We have a children's version of that, and we've recently read it through with our daughter. And that's a beautiful description of what life is like and having to face tribulation or trial after trial. You know, it's about Christian who is trying to make it to the celestial city. He knows that there's something there for him, and he has to make it there. But every single uh, uh, part of the journey, there's trial after trial, and each one of them serves him to bolster up his faith, his confidence uh, in, in Christ, in in, in what is he called in the book? The good, I think the good master, something like that. But that's just part of our life. That's something that we're warned um, uh, uh, towards. So it shouldn't be a surprise. And we experience these trials 
always, we can't always expect things to go our way. And it's so fascinating that sometimes we do that. We know that life is tough and we still act surprised when something hard happens, you know? We still act like we didn't see that coming. You know, how many of us, you know, uh, encounter a trial and we say, okay, Lord, thank you so much for this. We're gonna, we're gonna grow through this. We're really gonna just benefit from this. I know that you're doing something great in our lives. Or do we go, what? Really? Oh man, like we're usually very surprised that we have to face trials, aren't we? But we, we shouldn't be, you know? Trials come, it's just part of human nature. Some trials come because we are human, like sickness, accidents, disappointments, tragedies, etc. I think we all suffer that, whether you're a believer or not. That's just part of being human. And then other trials come because we're Christians. So just add that to the list, right? 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as something strange were to happen to you. There's nothing strange about facing trials. There's nothing strange about having a hard life, okay? In fact, an easy life would be a little bit more strange if you're a Christian. After all, we have an adversary, don't we? We have an adversary that fights us, the world opposes us, and it makes it for a life of constant battle. That's the life of a Christian. And so we will have trials. Let's count them up. Let's evaluate them. James says, consider it joy. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so let's do that. Let's evaluate what we have. Let's rejoice. And let's thank the Lord and trust him that this is going to be for our good and for his glory. Amen. And then the next thing that James says is to know. All right, let's look at verse 3. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He says that you know. And because he says that you know, I probably shouldn't tell you this because you already know. Or do you? Well, we ought to know. What, what should we know? To know is to have an understanding mind. That's what he's saying. Let's have an understanding mind about these trials that we're facing. James says that we know, but let's see. Let's see what, what should we know. He says that we know that faith is always tested. Do you know that? Are you sure of that? Our faith is always tested. Know that. That's important. Our faith as Christians is always tested. It's kind of like a student is constantly tested at school, not to ruin their lives, but to make them better, to make them stronger, to, uh, to bolster up their knowledge and whatever the subject's at hand. So we know that faith all, is always tested. For example, Abraham, great example. Abraham had to go through testing and testing. Te I don't know how he does it. Sometimes I feel like, oh my goodness, I think God's testing me like he did Abraham. I'm gonna fail. There's no way. You know, I could be like Abraham. Sometimes I think that. But see, that's a terrible attitude towards my trial. <laughs> but God's constantly testing us. Abraham was very faithful in this, and he got through his testings quite often. You see, God regular tests us to bring the best out of us. He's created us, and he's, he does a good job in his creation, doesn't he? And so he wants us to be the best we could be for his kingdom. And so he tests us to do that, and Satan regularly tempts us to bring the worst out of us. You see the difference? God's testing, Satan's tempting. And so we need to make that dif differential right there, and we will talk about tempting next week. But testing of our faith proves that we are truly born again. Amen? Amen. So know that. We also know that testing works for us and not against us. That word testing that you see in your Bibles there, it can also be translated to approval, okay? We are approved, approval. It, it, when we're tested, we're approved. Let me tell you a quick story. My wife and I always aspired to have a home, especially after we were married. We wanted to purchase a home, but we were nowhere near being able to qualify or to be approved for a home. 
You know, there was things we had to do. We sat down with a professional and he told us, this is what you have to do and this is what you have to do. And we thought, that's going to be really hard. I think that's going to be impossible. Unless you have a chunk of change to pay for a home, you have to be approved for a mortgage, right? But we went through the, the process. We completely restructured our habits. We paid debt. We saved. And we did whatever we had to do to be able to be found approved, all right? And so this is what testing does. It really challenges us on our day-to-day life, day-to-day life, so that we can develop better habits, so that we have a, a different approach, one that is approved, all right? And so uh, know that testing is for us and not against us. And then let's look at Peter again. 1 Peter 1.7 says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. This means that the testing of our faith is precious. It is approving. And so we should rejoice that we are encountering trials for that reason. You see that? All right. What else should we know? Let's keep reading. It says, and for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We know that trials rightly used help us to mature, to produce steadfastness. After all, God wants us to produce much in us. You know, sometimes I think, I think, I think we can all be guilty of this. I don't know. Some of you guys are way better than me, but sometimes we get upset with God and we think that he's being mean to us. Did you ever, did you ever watch that movie, Little Rascals? There's that scene where a thoughtful looks up and says, and the, and the clouds open up and God says, I hate you, Alfalfa. Do you remember that scene? Sometimes we feel that way. We feel that God's being mean to us because we're, we're going through this tough time. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not that God hates you. It's, God that, it's that God loves you and he wants to see you grow. I have the privilege of, um, of being my, my daughter's teacher. So we do math, language, arts, spelling, and we put her through some testing. We put her through some trials. Just recently, I put a little pressure on her to memorize our three timetables, you know? And, and guess what? When she got it, when she was going, she was rejoicing in the fact that she, she got it. She's growing. And she got it, and she was rewarded for it. And, and so that's love. We want you to grow. We want you to mature. This is not to hurt you. This is to help you mature. Look at what Romans 5, 3 to 4 says. But if we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. And so we have the full assurance of hope, and we have um, this, this understanding that our trials, our sufferings are actually bringing the best out of us. They're growing us. They're maturing us. Look at what Hebrews 6, 12 says, that you may be not sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So these trials help us uh, bring forth patience, and patience is absolutely important. It's not a passive acceptance of circumstances. It is a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering difficulty. We want the Lord to give us patience, but sometimes we're afraid to ask for it, aren't we? Because we know that, oh, if I ask God for patience, he's going to give me situations where I could be patient, and I don't want to go through that. But the fact of the matter, at the end of the day, all of this is for our good and for his glory. The, the more we mature, the more patient we could be with one another, the more loving and kind we can be with God's image bearers, the more he's glorified, the more we can help expand the kingdom to his glory. Amen? And so let's look at the next thing, let. Verse 4, he says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let, that's to have a surrendered will. 
In 1 Peter, we see an emphasis of, of being submissive. He says, submit to the governing authorities, submit to your wives, submit to your masters, submit to one another, submit to your elders. There's this really a push for submission, right, in 1 Peter. And so that's to have a surrendered will. And James says, hey, have a surrendered will when you face these trials. Let, let them do its job in your life, all right? Don't resist them. Sometimes we resist those things. Sometimes we set up our lives so that nothing could possibly go wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But sometimes what we try to do is we try to avoid or prevent any challenge, any trial. And so that when they happen, we sometimes throw fits about it. We melt down, right? James is saying, let, let it, let it happen. It's okay. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, let, let, it, let it humble us. Let it try us a little bit. It's, it's okay. Now, some of you guys have met my dog, Mando. He's still a pup. He just turned two the other day, I think. Uh, Mando did something very special in our lives one day. It was actually a Mother's Day, Sunday morning. He was accidentally left in our bedroom, our, our beautiful master suite bedroom. And you know what he tried to do? He tried to escape the bedroom. And so if you can imagine what this one-year-old puppy did at that time, it was really tragic to me. You know, he actually tore up the carpet all the way down to the, the plywood in the bottom. He tore up the door. If he had just five more minutes, he would have made it through. And then the threshold and the drywall around it was completely, it looked like the scene from Beauty and the Beast when Belle accidentally walks into the Beast's quarters, right? It, it was just so awful. You couldn't even get in there because it was such a terrible scene. Look what happened. I walked in there. I want to tell you that I was gracious with him, but I wasn't. I was really frustrated, okay? And so I went, I took the dog, I put him on his back, and, I, and trust me, it was a little bit more aggressive than I'm telling you right now, and I told him things, <laughs> all right? And as I'm telling him things, and as, if I and as I have him pinned down on his back, he's looking at me, and I can tell that he's afraid because he's also making a mess of himself at the time. But that moment changed our relationship forever. Now, some of you guys experienced it. I, I, I took him to family camp just recently. He would not leave my side. That dog has learned to submit. He let me. He let me discipline him. He let me overpower him in that time. He let me show him that I am, you know, his boss, right? I'm so glad that God doesn't submit us that way, <laughs> right? But this dog in that moment changed him. Now I call him once and he's at my disposal. It's, it's actually kind of annoying. He's always around me. I can't go anywhere without him, but he's on alert always. Now he's matured. He's a lot more moldable because if he's doing something that he shouldn't be doing, if he's getting into something that he shouldn't be getting into, I just have to call him one time and he's right there. He allowed me to overcome him that way. Trust me, he's big. He could have not allowed me to do anything like that to him. He could have been aggressive towards me. He could have resisted, but I'm glad he didn't. And so that's just a quick example. Let these trials change us, humble us, learn because we mature through these things. The goal here is, uh, is that we can live a life of maturity. I mean, I mean, how tragic would it be if our children remained little babies, right? I mean, I love little babies, but I'm so glad that my kids are growing up. It would be really tragic if they didn't grow up. And yes, it's tough to see them mature. It's tough to see them grow and have to change or, or deal with the, 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 the issues that happen with growing up, you know? And sometimes I think, 
oh my gosh, the baby years were so much better than the teen years anyway. All right. Uh, it's clear that God wants us to grow. In, in 1 John 2, 12 through, through 14, we see here that uh, he's instructing little children. Uh, John is. Um, young men, fathers. He's saying, in other words, little children, you have the basics, which is really good. You have the basics, but you need to mature to young men. Young men have the built-up ability or the built-up strength to be able to overcome and endure more. But God also wants us to grow up to be fathers, meaning to have an extensive or a deep understanding of his holiness. You know, he wants us to mature. The more we understand God's holiness, the more mature we can be. The more we can humble ourselves, the more we realize how treacherous our sin is, Right? And God wants to save us from that. He wants us to grow from that. And so having a sense of surrender to these trials or letting ourselves go through these hard times grows us. It is for our good and for God's glory. I cannot emphasize that enough. There's a word for that. It's called sanctification. All right? And sanctification makes us more Christ-like. So let's not resist becoming more Christ-like. Got that? All right. Let me move on to the next one, uh, verse 4, because I'm getting real real passionate about this passage. I could go on for days, I think. Uh, okay, the, the fourth thing, it says, ask. Verse 6, he says, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. Or actually, I, I fast forward to verse 5, but if any of you, any of you lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and he will be given to him. Ask God for wisdom. That's have a believing heart. You know, start by asking him for wisdom, which means pray. Why don't we pray anymore, you know? Let's go to him and ask him, because when we face trials, the first thing we do is sometimes complain, but instead we should ask him, okay, Lord, here it is. It's facing me. It's, it's right here. What do I do? Give me the wisdom. Give me the ability to respond to this in a way that's fruitful, that I may go from being in trial to being triumphant, right? Let's ask the Lord who's very generous in wisdom. You know, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Knowing is not enough, but being able to use that knowledge is what makes us wise. And, and like I said earlier, I think I said earlier, that James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. We find all kinds of wisdom here, all of kinds of pra practical advice on how to respond to just life's temptations and tribulations. But let's ask for wisdom. The Lord is so gracious to us, and he will not, you know, keep us from learning and growing in his name. We are to ask in faith, not doubting. Don't be afraid to ask. You should ask in faith. You should, you should expect something. How, what do I mean by ask in faith? Well, first of all, we have the faith that Jesus saves us, yes? We have the faith that we're not enough. We have the faith that everything that we are is because of Him, and we have this hope ahead of us, this living hope that comes through Jesus Christ. If He's able to save us, then He's able to help us through this circumstance. And so we have to ask in faith, Lord, help me get through this. He says, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and he will be given to him. And look at this description, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed back and forth to the wind. I don't know if you've been to the ocean or deep sea fishing or anything that you else that you do on the ocean. If you focus on those waves, you're going to get sick, Right? It, there's something about waves, just wishy-washy, yes, no, yes, no, right? I've even stood on the shore of the, of the beach before, and it makes me dizzy just looking at those waves. Hey, not like that. Not yes, not no. Faith says yes. This, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, doubt says no. You know, that's not going to happen. I'm guilty of this, guys. 
you know, sometimes we get so discouraged and we think, there's just no way. There's just no way I can get through this. We're being told, no, 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 no. In faith, without doubting, don't be like the waves. Don't be disoriented by those waves, okay? Know what you believe and trust God to do his work in your life. <clears throat> Look at what Ephesians says uh, in chapter 414 in regards to maturing. The measure of the statue the stature of fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by uh, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Uh, Let's not stay immature, but mature so that we're not wishy-washy. I think that's the easiest way I can put that. Let's move on to verse 9. Verse 9 says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. This is so important for us to see. The lowly brother is boasting in his exaltation. The lowly brother is the guy or the gal who understands their shortcomings, who understands that they are a sinful person and they, re- they really need God's grace. And so when you have that humility, when you have that approach to the throne of God, he is so gracious and compassionate, and he is a God who saves, right? When we've come to that maturity to realize, wow, I'm really nothing. I need him. I'm only but a sinner. Then that man is exalted, that person who surrendered to the Lord at that time. And it says here also, and the rich in his humiliation the rich person has everything, right? But when that person realizes that all of this stuff is very temporary and he humbles himself before, this is, an, this is a, a, the fruit of, of maturity, then he is exalted because he understands that like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Underline that verse. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Sometimes we get so focused on achieving our personal goals here on earth, on acquiring riches and possessions. It says that while we're in that pursuit, we will fade away. In other words, you can't even achieve that. You're going to be in the middle of trying to achieve something and then you are no more. You face judgment. And so let's not consider that the wealth that we ought to be pursuing, but instead in humility, which it requires maturity to be able to get there so that we can see the things of eternal. Then we have our eternal perspective on, and there's this beautiful song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I think we're going to see. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, right? And grace. And so when we have that, then we see, okay, What am I doing here? What am I hyper-focused on that's really just not meaningful at the end of the day? And so this is the wisdom that we have from James. And then he finishes this with a blessing, with a beatitude. And he says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life. This is what lasts forever, which God has promised to those who love him. Who are those that, who, that love him? Jesus says, if you love me, in John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. Wow. There's a, there's a, there's a reward for those who love him. There's this prize. There's this thing that we can look forward to. And, and if we love him, we will keep his commands. And if we keep his commands, that means we're constantly in the word, learning from him, learning his will. 
And so it is the Holy Spirit that actually enables us to do that because we just don't have that power within us. We really and truly rely on the Holy Spirit of God to help us do this. So God's Holy Spirit will help us count, to have a joyful attitude, to know, to have an understanding mind when it comes to trials, to let, to have a surrendered will, to ask with believing hearts. So now what? I want you to do this. Just close your eyes for a second and think of any trial that you may be going through. I know that there's something. If you're having a hard time thinking of a trial, just I know that there's something. Just think of whatever you're going through and consider now the value of your trial. Count it. Consider the value of your trial and thank God that he's maturing you. Also understand that faith is always tested and that it works for us, not against us, to help us mature. So rejoice that God is growing you. Have a surrendered will towards God as he works in your life. Do not resist him as you deal with this trial. Believe that God will accomplish his will in you. Trust him and hope in him always. Amen. And with that, I want to leave you with this. Those are our takeaways, by the way. Let's, let's go to takeaways, Emma. Consider the value of your trial. Understand the faith is always tested have a surrendered will towards God and believe that God will accomplish his will for you. And so I want to leave you with this. What you see here, and not just here, every church that is in Tucson, they have had their shares of trial. They have had their shares of conflict and, and just tough times. You know, my sending pastor is here. I, I know that it's just trial after trial after trial, and I could see the triumph after triumph after triumph. And each and every time it's just better. It gets better. But here's the thing, though. The biggest trial that you could have is the day that you face Jesus face to face. Oh, that's going to be the trial of trials. And he's going to ask, he's either going to say, depart from me, you wicked servant, or what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the biggest trial we're going to face. And so I encourage you, you know, humble yourself before the Lord, for he is mighty and gracious to save. And when we surrender ourselves to him, then we experience the most triumphant thing that, any, that anyone could ever experience is that that's fellowship with him, that's eternity in heaven with him. And so now, brothers and sisters, I urge you, think about it. Where are you? Have you surrendered yourself to Christ? Have you given yourself up to his lordship? You know, the Bible is clear. All you have to do is confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, repent that Jesus is Lord, right? And he will save you. He's gracious like that. So if this is something that you're ready to do, I just pray that you would just go all in and trust the Lord on this. Because he's good and he's not going to let you down. And if you look around, this room is full of believers that are just so ready to walk with you through this journey. Because it's better together. Would you agree? So with that, thank you for being part of this. Thank you for celebrating this triumph with us. You know, and through so many trials, through so many heartaches, through so many challenges, we are here today. And Way Family, by the grace of God, is going to make a huge difference in this community. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word today. We ask that you would just <clears throat> grow those seeds, Lord Jesus, in our hearts, that you would help us, uh, just mobilize us, Lord Jesus, to do the work that you've called us to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And we and we pray in your mighty name. Amen and amen. amen.